0: It's a platform that allows people all over the world to build organizations together online without needing to know or trust one another. To be able to come together, raise funds or pool funds, and collectively manage those funds towards the delivery of some shared objective.
1: Welcome to On the Edge. My name's Roland Harwood, and in each episode I talk with someone who's making sense of our increasingly connected world. In today's conversation, I connected with Jack DuRose, who is co-founder of Colony, a decentralized autonomous organization that is building organizations for the internet. He's also a self-taught jewelry designer who, amongst other things, made Damien Hurst's diamond-encrusted skull, for the love of God. I first connected with Jack a few years ago when I was running a company called 100% Open, and we shared a fascination for all things open source and decentralised. And in this conversation, you can hear us talking about how can you really trust other people on the internet who you haven't met in person and you don't even know their name. We also explore if there's a better system than meritocracy if you really want to do good work as well as the future of work post-pandemic and the hype around cryptocurrencies and non-fungible tokens. So I started out by asking him what are organizations for the internet and how are they different? Enjoy!
0: The key thing about doing almost anything on the internet is that you don't really know who you're dealing with. So if you're on Facebook even or Twitter or Reddit or or whatever, you're usually interacting with somebody's avatar. And that issue of not really knowing who you're dealing with makes it really hard to trust people. You can really only trust them on the basis of what their history of behavior has been. Uh, And some people on the internet obviously are good actors and they um, hold a lot of uh, personal brand equity in their... um, in their avatar and their, their online reputation, but then others really are using these uh, pseudonyms as uh, as a way to shield themselves from the repercussions of their bad behavior. So when we were trying to figure out what it would look like to be able to have organizations for the internet, this idea of pseudonymity was absolutely key. And so, so the key question behind this is, How can you create an organization that looks, feels, behaves, uh, more or less acts in the way you would ordinarily expect a company or other organization to act, but to be possible to do that whilst everybody is able to remain pseudonymous?
2: Sorry to interrupt, Jack, but is it a bit like a masked ball, you know, where you're, not that I've ever been to one, but as I imagine... (laughs) you enter a room and everyone is, uh, you know, you don't actually know who people are. And so you're having to
0: second guess a little bit. Well, well that's the interesting thing about pseudonyms, right? Just because you kind of do know who people are, even if you don't know what it says on their birth certificate. If you get to know them, you know who they are. It's their behavior, really, that, that tells you who they are. So what we needed for Colony was a, a, a way to be able to for it to not matter who they are really because the needs it needs to be possible for people's to be held to account for for what they do without needing to fall back to the real world legal systems because actually over the internet that's not really practical um it seems like it ought to be practical to fall back to the real world legal system but it isn't really in the context of an organization because you don't have a small claims court, for example, that really makes sense between actors who are, who are collaborating together in, you know, Doha, uh, London, California, <laughs> uh, you know, th- this is, this is not a a construct that the real world is set up for. So the idea behind Colony really was how can we create a system in which people can, confidently work together they can confidently share resources manage resources pursuant to some common goal i.e a company but to be able to do so without knowing or trusting one another
2: so without knowing one another i totally get but without trusting one another i struggle a bit more with but so for instance you and i have actually met in real life haven't we a couple of times and we've spoken online a few more times and i i trust you i would probably lend you money i'd probably do you a favor maybe not i'll bear uh, that in
0: mind thank you
2: <laughs> <laughs> but i guess and i'm just thinking aloud you know i trust you up to a point i might not yes. uh, give you a million pounds not that i have it to give but um but you know i might give you a uh, hundred pounds or you know i don't quite know what the threshold is if i'm honest but let's just hypothetically speaking i trust you enough up to a certain level yep. based on the interactions we've had and and your trustworthiness in our interactions today, which have been impeccable, may I may I say? Well, pleased um, nice to hear it. <laughs> um, but not enough to lend you a million quid if I had it. Um, <laughs> um, so we need to trust each other, though, don't we? So I might, you know, I might not know this other person on the other end of the internet, but I need to have a certain level of trust in order to work with them or do have some kind of transaction or interaction with them. Is that not
0: is that not right? You, you do need to have trust, but. You've just explained the reason why you have trust in me versus any other random that I might pull off the street. It's because you have got some internal track record in your mind. You've built up a model of my behavior over time, which informs you about the amount of risk that you think it would be appropriate to take on my behavior. And if having extended that, uh, that generosity towards me, i were to behave in a way which undermined the image uh, of of my behavior that you had established then you would have to update your your mental model right and and consequently your your willingness to extend credit to me uh would be would be modified and actually that's more or less exactly how credit scoring in the real world works right? The credit scoring agencies really don't care what it says on your birth certificate. All they care about is that you have demonstrated a pattern of behavior over time. And that pattern of behavior is, and the credit score that has come with it, are a valuable thing for you to maintain because it gives you license to continue to behave in the way that you've previously demonstrated. If you were to change your behavior in such a way that it were to be to the detriment of your credit score, then you would have a corollary um, uh, degrading of your, of your credit score and your ability to obtain credit. So Colony applies a really very similar principle of trying to track the behavior of people over time, such that it can extend um, a limited degree of trust towards them and modify that assessment in the uh, event that their behavior turns out not to be what it ought to be
2: so are you boiling down people to a sort of a number or a set of metrics of trustworthiness essentially um for part of their participation within the platform that you've built
0: i think when it comes to dealing with people in an organization you've got two different kinds of reputations that you care about Mm -hmm. one is the sort of soft reputation it's that you know a person and you know what they're like and you are consequently, as you mentioned, able to extend generosity to them on on that basis. But when it comes to reputation in the context of an organization like this, what really matters is that their reputation gives them the ability to actually manage funds on behalf of a group of people. So that is a slightly different thing. We kind of call them a similar thing, that you've got a professional reputation. This is something which is a... A very concrete set of permissions that it it provides to people so we can't really use the fluffy stuff for that
2: so you're distributing sort of power and responsibility to other people exactly yeah yeah so maybe we should just dive a bit into what colony is and then to come back
0: into some of these more concepts that underpin it um we've gone into the deep end almost immediately
2: (laughs) well that's great and that's where i like to hang out most of the time but i think it might be helpful just to sort of describe what colony is but perhaps before you do that elevator pitch what led up to the creation of colony what made you realize that you know the world needs something like this uh, perhaps different to what exists before can you just tell me uh, kind of tell us what colony is but tell us the history of how you came up with the idea and and felt the need for it as well.
0: Yeah. So, so my elevator pitch of Colony is that it's a platform that allows people all over the world to build organizations together online without needing to know or trust one another. Okay. And so concretely, what that means is for communities, organizations, groups, whatever you want to call them, to be able to come together, raise funds or pool funds and collectively manage those funds towards the delivery of some, some shared objective. Whatever it is that's got these group of people to come together and start working on something, that's what the funds are being managed for, which is really a very long-winded way of saying creating a company. Yeah. And so what's, what brought me to this was that I used to be a jeweler. I used to make very high-end, very fancy bits of jewelry probably the most ostentatious jewelry you'll ever see in my life. <laughs> and, It um, seems like
2: a long way from what you're doing now, but interesting. It, it,
0: yeah. it does. It does. Um, but I mean, I was always a nerd in the, the luxury world. So spending hours, uh, cuddling my computer. Um, and the, the sort of common thread between this is that, um, We were a really distributed team. In fact, there was just two of us in London um, in my company. I'd got a business partner um, in Bangkok who was uh, a jewelry manufacturing company. And we worked with, in addition to that, uh, a a network of elite craftsmen all over the world and and different kinds of gemstone suppliers and, and all sorts of stuff. And so managing that supply chain was quite arduous, um, and especially when it came to things like promotion and um, and sales and all of that kind of thing. And at some point, I was I was at I think it was a, a gala dinner or something ludicrous in in Moscow, and uh, a client of mine, the the daughter of a Russian oligarch, was asking me to if I could help her start a company that would have very similar qualities to my own. And I I, I had a sort of reaction of, of horror and dread and visceral dislike for wanting to to do any more of this, which I, I thought was quite curious given that I was essentially being proffered a blank check, um, which, which sort of spurred me to really analyze why it was that I'd had this reaction which was quite contrary to what my anticipated reaction would be if I'd been asked if that would be an offer that I would enjoy <laughs> so um, I-, I recall being up into the early hours in my hotel that that night with my notebook trying to figure all this out and realized that I just didn't want to be doing this I, d- I hated what I was doing um, I didn't like being in jewellery I had no interest in it and I just wanted to be I wanted to find a way out for myself, but I felt like I was just getting sucked deeper and deeper down into a, a sort of inexorable hole of existential <laughs> angst.
2: So her question was just, it potentially would have opened another door in that world, that path exactly. that you didn't want to go down. So that was a pivotal... In fact,
0: it did open the door because I yeah. couldn't turn it down. But <laughs> but uh, I, at the same time, I, I was... Um, exploring my exit strategy and what i really wanted to do because this is a very long-winded way of explaining it was could i could i find a way of causing my whole organization to become self-organizing that would mean that i didn't have to be the person responsible for everything all the time could i basically remove myself whilst also accepting and understanding that that the way that we worked was how we were able to deliver such amazing stuff. And, um, that part of it couldn't really change. So yeah, I, I, I was just trying to find a way for my company to become more self-organizing by aligning the intensives of all of the members of the supply chain, such that the work could get done without me acting as a central point of control.
2: And did you manage to do that in the jewellery example? Or? Absolutely
0: not. Okay. No, I failed miserably <laughs> because, <laughs> because uh, I realized after, I, I don't know, a good amount of time of trying to figure all this stuff out that actually I was setting myself a massive, difficult challenge. I had no idea how difficult what I was trying to accomplish was. I thought I'd be able to achieve it just by sort of cobbling together PayPal and, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook or something like that. (laughs) But there's a way more to it.
2: But I mean, it touches upon hierarchy, right? So hierarchies exist for a reason yeah, and often perceived to be a bad thing. But actually, it provides structure and certainty and, you know, um, clarity, uh, which can be helpful. Um, So are you kind of rebelling against hierarchy or was it just kind Absolutely of your, not. your role within the hierarchy that you were part of
0: no i was rebelling against my uh, my my seeing my life set out before me in, in a way that I, I found distasteful personally it was it was a very selfish reaction to it um but uh the solution that i was trying to come up with um it just it kind of took on a life of its own it didn't really take very long to be honest for me to realize that it was ludicrous for me to try and solve this problem for my jewelry company uh, but that as a problem it was it was really interesting and I, I saw the extent to which the sort of democratization of communication over the internet and and media um had opened up so many possibilities but that organizations were not something that had really touched the internet. And it seemed like as, as organizations are really just about being able to communicate and structure activity whilst also managing money, it ought to be possible to, to do that via the internet as well. Um, But so I, I, but within this whole design, there is, there is no inherent rebellion against the hierarchy as, as a, as an issue, I think that the hierarchy is just a tool um, that enables organizations to scale. The problem is with hierarchies, is that it's not really going to work in terms of a formal hierarchy over the internet. Um, that's, That's just not the way things tend to be organized online. So it was necessary to kind of recreate all the same benefits, but to do so from the bottom up, which, and so I think that Colony as a system is still rather hierarchical. But the hierarchy is an emergent property of people's behavior, which is to say that people who do more behave better and a higher reputation and therefore have more influence.
2: So I love all this stuff without really understanding it, but yeah, the internet was designed deliberately to you know withstand nuclear attack and what have you as a distributed decentralized network, and so the organizational structures that are built upon the internet reflect. You know the technology and the infrastructure that they're they're built upon. in colony is an instance of that. Is that correct? Uh,
0: yeah, I would say so. I think it's it's more that it, uh, just that because we are dealing with pseudonymous people over the internet, um, that it's just harder to have that kind of formal hierarchy because you don't really you don't really have the same guarantees that you do, and you don't have fallback to the meat space yeah. legal system. Is it simply
2: a case that the internet allows more people to communicate than ever before and therefore we need structures that just allow more people to interact and manage projects and manage money um, at at a larger scale? Or is there something kind of qualitatively different as well as the kind of quantity of collaborators?
0: I think there's something qualitatively different. And I think that in terms of social platforms, at least, um, the key characteristic of the of the internet is permissionlessness you don't need permission to go and create a facebook account and and start interacting with groups and what have you normally of course there are some exceptions where you have to be be allowed into membership but you know if in the majority of cases you can just rock up and start doing your thing and it's really only in the event that you uh, start misbehaving that you can have those those abilities revoked. So you get kicked off a subreddit or something like that because you are misbehaving in there and and, uh, not adhering to the rules.
2: So it's rules by exception. So it's anyone can do anything, but then if you cross some red lines, then, yeah, you might get booted out.
0: Right, exactly. So we had similar principles for for organizations is that um, we should be able to turn up and contribute... Um, and it's only if your behavior or your quality of work or whatever is is not to the standard that the organization would like, then they're going to rescind your your welcome.
2: So you've built this platform over the last five years, is it? Or how long have yep. you been going?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, about that, yeah. I saw a demo
2: of it about 18 months ago, and I'm sure it's changed a lot since then, but my very crude interpretation of what it was then, and you can tell me how this is, a a mischaracterization in a second was sort of a project management tool with a sort of a financial layer as a way to distribute funds based on contribution to predominantly, I would say, sort of technology-based, software development-based kind of projects, but not exclusively. So that's how I sort of saw what it was you'd built then. How wrong is that description? No, that's
0: pretty much That's pretty much spot on, Yeah.
2: And and the money is kind of cryptocurrency, right? So it's that's, um, right. Yeah. There's a, that's an additional kind of factor, which is of course going crazy right now as well. Which is yes. maybe we can come on to some of those trends and what's happening around all of that. But so, um, but the the narrative on your website is is broader than how I've just described it. It's kind of an infrastructure for any internet native organizations i think is one of the phrases you use and it could be used for for anything right so it's not just a software development project it could be any group of people that want to organize a jewelry could it be for a jewelry company
0: a high-end jewelry company it could be um i think there are i don't think it's for any kind of company i think there are exceptions i don't think it would make sense if you're like a a family bakery for example Uh, i think if Uh, because I just don't think it's, I think it would be unnecessarily an unnecessary layer of bureaucracy. Okay. Uh, if, if what you're doing is, is baking bread and selling it via your shop. Um, so I think it really makes sense where there is some somewhat complicated, non, non procedural work that's going on, uh, particularly where, where expertise is involved. So say that again. So
2: non-procedural
0: work. So by which I mean that it's you're not just, well, I'm thinking of exceptions to my own statement here. That's right. Um, (laughs) So the kinds of things that you would want to use something like Asana for or Trello, right, where you would want to figure out the work that needs to be done, plan it over time, have people work on different things to deliver it which i think is sort of most kinds of organisations um, but as you say it's it's especially useful for things like software development um it's a, it's a, that those are good use cases for it if you're if you're um a veterinary surgery it's not as obvious to me that that, that would be a good fit so being co-located and doing most of your communication verbally is is probably not a great fit but more and more organizations are, are working in a distributed fashion
2: so kind of meritocracy is a kind of core principle right within that's right yeah Colony. that's so, the
0: whole reputation thing i was talking about
2: so if you jack do you know twice as much quality work as me roland then you know you get twice the rewards uh, as a result and so how is that assessed the quality are we all ranking each other's contributions 24 7 and that sort of
0: creates uh, an assessment of how we've contributed not all ranking one another's assessments really but um Certainly others within the organization are, are evaluating quality, doing the quality assurance, which again is just a normal part of, of most um, organizations is that a piece of work is submitted and then there's somebody else's responsibility to um, to check it and decide whether the quality was good enough and pass it or, or, or say that it needs to be redone or improved or whatever. So that's just a normal... Process, the difference with colony, I think, is that it is possible for anybody to to have oversight of these things. So it could be that within your organisation, you've got somebody who has done a piece of work, and then somebody else's role has been to evaluate the quality of that piece of work, and they have said that the quality was fine, and this person should be paid for the work. Um, but perhaps you come along and you you have opportunity to view this work as well and you say, well this isn't not of the quality that we expect here at all and you're going to object to this person getting paid for this piece of work and it needs to be improved before um, before that. So um, that that's something you can do and that's that's kind of the peer review component that you mentioned but importantly it doesn't require everybody to be doing this all the time, which would be tremendous pain in the neck.
2: But is that review anonymized? So, do you know that I'm reviewing your work or vice versa?
0: The review is not anonymized, no, not other than to the extent to which you're operating via a pseudonym. Okay,
2: but if you know if I were to reject a piece of work that you've done, for instance, because maybe because I don't understand it, or maybe because I just assess it's not what we need right now, you know, you might be annoyed about that because you spent the last week working on it and you're not going to get paid for the last week's work. So, how how do how does colony protect you know uh, sort of turf wars and kind of politics and some of that stuff that happens in normal organizations where um, you know decisions are made for reasons other than uh, you know the quality and quantity of people's
0: contributions so in, in the case where you've objected your your objection is not um, in and of itself um, a decision that is it so, so what would happen in the case of a task that's been delivered? It's been evaluated by Bob. He said it was fine. Roland's come along and said that it was not fine. And so you're creating an objection to that. And if you're objecting to it, you're putting a stake down in cryptocurrency, in your colony's native token, um, that says that you object to it so much that you're willing to put your own stake in the organization on the line or a part of it at least, on the line uh, in support of your argument that this is not good enough. Um, And that will create a vote to take place. So if you've staked against it, a vote will then happen. And then other people will be incentivized to come along and sort of check out the two sides of the the coin here and then themselves take a decision as to whether – whether the work was acceptable or not and so in that case those are then also not um anonymous they're pseudonymous but the um the decision is not really yours alone and and in any case the view that i think should generally be taken in organizations is is not that um rejecting work or saying that work is not good enough or providing critique of any sort should not be considered a destructive process or a destructive action you know feedback is a gift and it should be taken as 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 a benefit to the to the growth and improvement of both the individual and the organization
2: i i totally agree in principle i i'm just kind of curious in practice so for instance the bob and roland you know one's approving one's not approving the work hypothetically speaking if i own 2% of the company and bob owns 70% of the company, you know, Bob's view is gonna have more sway, surely by virtue of perhaps his reputation within, within
0: this company. We usually recommend that it should be based on reputation rather than ownership, because I don't think okay. really wealth is usually a good proxy for expertise. So you recommend
2: that, but you don't sort of mandate that that's up to the
0: communities that use it. That is up to the community themselves, because a lot of communities in the crypto space like to do things by token weighted decision making um, I, I think that's something that will change, but you can do it by, by ownership as well. And actually, I think that there are certain decisions where both the capital and labour class um, should be consulted. The capital and labour class of stakeholders in an organisation should be consulted. But but generally, in this case, it would be reputation-based. Let's say that um, in this in this team of the organisation in which this dispute took place, actually you uh, were the, had the largest amount of reputation, or perhaps you were part of a cabal of, of um, reputation holders that, that had really got it in it for Bob and were trying to force him out, then once this decision had been rendered, presumably in your favor, Bob would have the ability to escalate it to a higher team within the organization, perhaps to the organization as a whole, where he feels that he's likely to get a fairer hearing than in the team that you control or the mind share of. So like to the Supreme Court in the sort of
2: American legal example?
0: Right, except this is kind of still within the organization. So this is being like elevated to the board level of the organization. In the future, we also expect to be able to support um, disputes being uh escalated to arbitrators that are outside of the organization as well so who are just totally impartial third parties
2: so i could run a company and i that provides a service to customers and i could ask the customers to have a casting vote or a say in terms of some of these things potentially as well
0: absolutely kind of like GIFGAF in the uk runs um runs their customer service by their community and incentivizes them to do so. So, all of those kind of processes could be run.
2: So it really sounds like you're not just kind of rewiring organizations from the ground, but you're sort of rewiring the economy and society. There's a lot going on here in what you're doing. There, there is a lot going on here, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you saw the sort of the outrage this week against what Basecamp uh, announced, you know, 39 Signals. Have you, have you seen any of that on Twitter? I haven't seen that, actually, no. Um, so you know Basecamp, the project management yeah. tool, they, mm-hmm. amongst other things, forbid political chat on the kind of company Basecamp, the main channel, because it was too divisive. Um, But they also, and there was a big backlash against that online. If you have a look on Twitter, you can see it. But that was was probably the most contentious. But they also got rid of 360-degree feedback within the organization. And just by way of context for people that perhaps aren't aware, you know, 39 Signals, which is the company that makes Basecamp, are an entirely distributed organization. I think their team is all around the world they don't have any offices, uh, they've written several books, and, you know, given lots of TED talks and things like that. So and they're generally regarded as a very sort of progressive pioneering organisation, or at least they were until this kind of faux pas, at least how I would interpret it this week with some of these edicts. And I just thought it was interesting. I don't quite know the reasons why, why they're getting rid of 360 degree feedback, etc.
0: Is there, is there not more to it? though. You can't just be getting rid of it altogether and not replacing it with some system that they think is is better. They seem to be
2: reverting to more traditional kind of line manager feedback. And it's for, for reasons mm-hmm. given due to efficiency of time. Uh, but it does seem like a backwards step.
0: I, I, I hadn't seen that. But um, yeah, I think that that there's often an explosion of outrage about things where people don't really understand the full context, and because you know nuance is boring, right? So
2: <laughs> it
0: is, and I don't, uh, I don't know enough about it either. But the other quick
2: side, which I'm just curious whether you've seen this, is so meritocracy, which we touched upon briefly earlier, being one of the kind of core principles that you're enshrining within Colony. I was just listening to a podcast the other day talking about that term, when it was first coined, it was not seen as a positive thing. So there was a warning that if we sort of move away from hereditary uh, a kind of elite, um, which existed in, in the UK, uh, and you could argue still does in some ways, uh, is replaced with a meritocracy, that that could be uh, a bad thing, uh, which I just thought was interesting. I've always, my whole life, thought meritocracy is a good thing but uh, so I was surprised to see that.
0: Probably in in the first case where it was deemed that a meritocracy was was a bad thing for an aristocracy, was that there wasn't a great deal of merit within the aristocracy, or, and that that progressive, I suppose, as you would as they would have seen it, uh, approach is dangerous to them. Which of course it, it absolutely was. I think that the more modern reactions against meritocracy are, are rather different. Which is that meritocracy is inherently unfair because, and this I think is especially true in in the US, although I, I would imagine it's true everywhere really, is that the greater your privilege, the greater opportunities you're going to have, the better schools you're going to go to by virtue of living in better areas and so on and so forth. So merit is wealth by proxy in many cases. Now this isn't universally true, of course. But, you know, for, for example, in, in the U.S., I, I forget all the statistics around it, but they're, they're fairly damning of the probability that you're going to be able to go to an Ivy League school uh, unless you've had a certain set of conditions met. And, you know, going to an Ivy League school is a precondition to getting roles in the most pre- prestigious and highly paying organizations. And this is just a, a self-perpetuating exclusionary system. So, you know, I think the arguments against meritocracy on that basis have a great deal of of value. That's not a meritocracy though, is it? That is an aristocracy of sorts. It still is because it's still the basis upon which people, when tested on their merits, that is their intelligence and capacity for for certain kinds of work, they score more highly. But they do so by virtue of having had so many opportunities and so many more opportunities than, let's say, somebody who was born to a poor family in the inner city.
2: Well, I think that's what this podcast I was listening to, which was talking about the sociologist Michael Young, who in certain circles is quite famous. I think that was the point he was making. And he was predicting that this is what might happen in a a true meritocracy. But interesting that that term meritocracy has been taken as generally universally a kind of positive kind of principle to be enshrined and embedded
0: absolutely but i suppose there's a question of of what's a better alternative if what you're really trying to do is to do good work if you're trying to be the best you can be as an organization do you have an answer for that well i don't think i do have an answer for that i i think that it's it's just one of those hard problems where the world is not fair and how do you i don't think you solve it by saying well we shouldn't be trying to have meritocratic organizations in a meritocratic society, but rather that the opportunities need to be equalized, knowing that the outcomes never really fully can be equalized, but the opportunity should be, and we should be trying in every way that we can to equalize them.
2: I remember seeing Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia speaking years ago, and when he was asked about something about the leadership styles or, or, or the management kind of methods at Wikipedia, which of course is a isn't an organization per se, but his answer, and I'm paraphrasing, it wasn't exactly like this. He said something like, there are five different kind of management or leadership kind of styles that that contribute to the success of Wikipedia. One is anarchy. So anything goes, anyone can do anything. Two is, um, and it wasn't necessarily in this order, but two is kind of democracy. You know, when there's issues in the community, we vote on them and resolve it that way. Three is is meritocracy. So, you know, the best people kind of rise up in, in the community. Uh, four is aristocracy. So people that have been around the longest carry more weight in decision making. And five is monarchy. So if all those other four modes fail, sometimes it falls to him, Jimmy Wales, to sort of make a decision and be the sort of benign dictator or monarch in that community. And I thought there was something quite interesting in that it wasn't any one of those it was the combination of all five which contribute to the success of something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? I think there's
0: a great deal of wisdom in that. Yeah. that. That sounds absolutely right to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So describe where what colony is. I'm curious where it's going and and what your your plans and hopes are for the future. We touched very briefly on this enforced kind of experiment of the pandemic. How has that sort of accelerated or disrupted your plans. And yeah, more recently we've had a lot of excitement around NFTs and Bitcoin and what have you and get being in a related field. How is that affecting what you're doing?
0: I think the pandemic probably has, I think that's been very good for distributed work. I was, um, I had my my first uh, sojourn out last weekend. Oh, congratulations. Going, going, for, going for dinner with some friends. Uh, really? In a bitterly cold and very windy <laughs> London, uh, yeah, setting out. Uh, yeah. But it was the point of it that mattered, <laughs> and uh, they're all um, they were uh, accountants and bankers, really, and um, uh, and one one doctor in in the case of in the case of whom you know remote work is not really possible. Um, you can't do pediatric neurology over Zoom, unfortunately. Still, <laughs> uh, but. But in the case of bankers and accountants, even those very large organizations seem to be uh, sort of tentatively embracing the idea that uh, remote is is both possible and good, and um, and in all of their cases, it would be possible for them to do only two days a week in the office. Uh, We'll see how long that uh, maintains, I suppose. Um, but I think that a lot of other organizations that have realized that actually they can save a lot of money by not having um, a, a co-located office and uh, people don't have to live, for example, in, in London. They can be living wherever and uh, that gives them greater access to talent and allows their people to, to not have to stand such high expense.
2: But how has that affected you and Colony and what you're building
0: the the effect of to colony is kind of going to be a second order effect of all of the things that I've just talked about. Really, because the kinds of organizations that colony enables are only just starting to emerge, and they're emerging within primarily um, blockchain um, technology companies that are kind of early adopters of these trends that I, that like everybody has just been forced into. The kinds of companies that I'm talking about have been doing this for years already. And so they are now at the point where they're wanting to adopt models like Colony.
2: Can you give some examples of, of types of organizations or actual organizations that you would you'd say are, are doing this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so one good example is one called Yearn Finance. They're a completely decentralized organization, completely founded and operated by pseudonyms. There is no company surrounding it. It's just a bunch of people who coordinate over the internet and manage their extraordinarily large treasury um, towards the delivery of their, of their product. They, as a company, as an, as an organization, whatever you want to call it, have a market cap, I think, of about $1.8 billion. So this is a very, very serious, very important um, organization which operates in exactly the way that I've described. And there are several hundred, if not several thousand, organizations um, of varying scales that operate just like this. Um, And so I think that we will see, I don't expect, you know, Accenture to suddenly start welcoming pseudonyms, but I think the general principle of being able to be remote and being able to accommodate talent from anywhere in the world and for people to be able to come along and prove their worth within the organization without having to go through an onerous hiring process. I think these are principles which will gain greater adoption as they get proven by the trailblazers like the year and finance of the world.
2: Mm. Okay, that's interesting. I hadn't heard of them. I'm definitely going to check that out. That's quite significant. And I still don't really get the, yeah, the, the, pseudonyms coming together to deliver a one point whatever billion
0: dollar business but but anyway that's just my my learning curve and being uh, everybody has to have an aha moment with with blockchain tech and then it'll all just fall into place for you
2: yeah well I'm, i feel like i've been on the edge of it for a while but i'm still not quite there and so what about like interestingly for crypto and going back to your art and jewelry background uh this kind of um forgot what it's called but this artwork that sold recently um people yeah people yeah is there is the kind of hype around this stuff kind of helpful um or is it kind of noise what what's your take on on some of that right now as well
0: i mean it's helpful to the artists that have been able to create a living where before they were scratching around in the dirt for sure which is um the truth for for for, for most artists but then you know can you really produce art if you're not struggling i don't know maybe that's a that's another podcast (laughs) yeah that's a ridiculous old cliche so i think that nfts are are an interesting one because i mean i fervently believe in nfts as a technology which means non-fungible tokens so if you've got an ordinary cryptocurrency let's say like bitcoin the characteristic the key characteristic of bitcoin is that it's fungible one is identical to the other doesn't matter if we swap the two Bitcoin that we've got, it makes no difference. An NFT, a non-fungible token, means that each individual token can be completely identical, can be completely unique and not identical. It could be one of an addition, which is a numbered addition, or it could be that each one is unique, um, like entirely unique or anything. And But they are being associated with pieces of art. And that's an important distinction that the it's art itself is not an NFT. There is an NFT which is associated with it, which is kind of like a receipt or a certificate of ownership that says that you own this piece of digital art. The piece of digital art itself is equally something that can be cre- recreated and copied and, and shared about in all of the traditional ways that you would expect of data. So and that's really the the limitation that I currently see uh, with the technology as it stands, is that if you have got like the $68 million people, to the best of my knowledge, that is not stored immutably anywhere. That is on a Google Cloud server or Amazon Web Services server somewhere. And in principle, it could be deleted, it could go away forever. Um, that's not true of, of, you know, real art. I mean, sure, it could be set on fire or destroyed, but the the nft importantly right now just is a a certificate of ownership and the ability to gain utility from that is currently very limited there aren't really ways that you can benefit from it there's very much more than sort of claiming ownership of it and so i think that there's a lot of interesting things that can be done with nfts in the future particularly in the world of virtual worlds and 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 gaming but I, i think that there's the hype has massively outstripped the reality uh, as it often does with new technologies uh, so i think that we're in the sort of 2017 ico boom of nfts right now and i, I would expect it to be a reckoning coming in in the not too distant future
1: thank you to jack i really enjoyed that conversation and learning a bit more about how internet organizations are both quantitatively and qualitatively different to the organisations that we are familiar with that surround us. Also, I was kind of struck by the fact that meritocracy is inherently unfair and also how that might fit with other ways of working, including anarchy and democracy. And some of the chat at the end around the hype around non-fungible tokens, how it's outstripped the reality and a reckoning is coming. So there we go. Check out some links about Jack and Colony in the episode description. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, a collective intelligence community, and it's supported by all of our patrons and members, so thanks to all of you for your support. To find out more about us, please check out www.weareliminal.co and please make sure that you like and subscribe to this episode and share it with others who may enjoy it as well. Until next time, please keep on connecting people and ideas. If you do, you never know what might happen. Thank you and goodbye.